Riff rap revolution, riff rap revolution, riff rap revolution, riff rap revolution, riff rap revolution. Revolution, a podcast about real stories with real struggles from real underrepresented comedians. Really? Um, I'm Perry, a theater teacher, a comedy writer, director, and performer. And I'm Laura. Um, I'm also a Chicago-based performer and comedy writer. Uh, today, we're talking with Neftali Morales. Uh, Neftali is a graduate of the Second City's Conservatory, uh, music conservatory, and writing programs, as well as the Annoyance Theater, I.O. Chicago, and Comedy Sports Chicago Training Centers. And Naftali currently performs uh, in Trigger Happy at the Annoyance and Generation Latin X at I.O. Theater. Uh, Naftali writes and performs sketch comedy both solo as an, and as an ensemble member of the Family Robot. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, Naftali. How Thank are you? you for having me. I am well. I'm inside out, away from the heat. I feel like I had like Chicago summer's officially begun because I got on a red line. And it was wild, humid, and there's like all the aromas. Mm, um, love it. Yeah. I got out of it nice and like balmy. And I was like, okay, yeah, this, it has begun. Summer has arrived. <laughs> yeah, we skipped right over spring. We wanted to start with um, just a question about like how and when did your love for comedy start? Um, I think growing up, I always liked comedy, SNL, uh, Strangers with Candy. Um, i trying to think what else. Richard Pryor. Uh, yeah. I, like when I, but I, I never really thought. Oh, I'm going to be working in this because that seemed kind of selfish or just like, oh, like that's just like there are way more talented people out there doing it. Um, And then I like I went to college. I worked as a graphic designer when I got out of college for a few years. And I went and got my master's in new media studies at DePaul University uh, because when I was working as a designer, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I noticed a lot of early adopters to podcasts were comedians and comic book writers. And I was a big comic book fan and comedy fan in general. And they were doing really neat stuff. Like Nick Kroll was testing characters or he'd be on podcasts as characters Ooh. early on. Like, mm. so you could see sort of him building this catalog. And it was crazy. Cause there's that, you know, they say sometimes it's 10 years and it was almost like 10 years of, and then they kind of got big. Um, so I was like, Oh, I'm going to go do this program. That's like an interdisciplinary between like writing design and, you know, digital media. And I did that. And I was like, great, I have all these tools, uh, how to produce this content, but I haven't actually done the part where it involves like writing or creating it. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'll take a writing class. And a friend of mine's I know through Capoeira, this Afro-Brazilian martial art, um, he was in town working on Chicago Fire early on when I first came here. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about taking a class. And I was like, okay, cool. I want to sign up for a writing class. And he's he mentioned, he's like, oh, well, I sit down all day. Um, <laughs> let's do an improv class. I was like, all right, cool. And then I went, signed up for the improv class instead of writing. And he gets back to me. Oh, yeah, by the yeah, I can't do it because our shooting schedule varies uh, depending on permits, when permits are available for shooting. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was like, oh, all right. Uh, I, I ended up really enjoying it. And I probably wouldn't have taken my first like improv or I just jumped into the writing. And I don't even know if I would have made it through that. Um, but... Uh, I started A3 at Second City and I was taking, I started taking the writing program at the same time at, at level two. Cause I was like, Oh, I really like this. Um, so that was kind of how I got into it. And then I just like, Oh, well I'm just gonna focus on the writing part. But then I really liked sort of the writing and performing things mm-hmm. that you wrote like that 
sort of ownership. You know, I like, you know, I come from a design background. So the idea of like making something and building something and putting it out there Mm -hmm. and sort of the craft of that is really exciting. And I enjoy the parallels to that as far as performing, especially solo or with friends because, you know, you're writing for yourselves or for an audience of your peers or like-minded people, which is really exciting. Um, although maybe it isn't profitable because, you know, I deal, mm-hmm. I mean, Second City makes a living off. I mean, they make their money off of, you know, a broad audience. Mm-hmm. But um, but the idea to, that you can do that, especially a person of color, I really like that you because it gives you the tools for you to create your own opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I really liked or I pinned down when I was working my master's that I really liked about uh, all the things that these creative people were doing with digital media was – they were they had this freedom to create things create whatever they wanted what exactly is new media studies uh so <laughs> it's it's a mix of writing or studying the theory and history of digital media how do we create digital media the social impact of it you know designing websites uh podcast video you know digital videos things like that it's a variety of things and you can kind of focus on one area of it and make something or focus on one like particular aspect of it, mm-hmm. and you're encouraged to kind of do that within the coursework. Um, but you know, these digital things like be- things became more accessible. And back in the day, it was you have to go to a book publisher or you have to get somebody to say yes, you can do this. Like permission, this permission based culture. And I think these digital tools becoming more affordable and ubiquitous. It enabled people to have this agency to kind of just go do their own thing. And it didn't matter if you had like one or two people that followed or hundreds. You could kind of go and just make that weird thing that that doesn't exist in popular culture, if that makes sense. Because mm. I feel, you know, like these gatekeepers, like publishers and, uh, you know, big studios, they have a thing that, oh, we know this makes us money. and We want to make more of it. And so they, you know, they don't gamble. So it's really exciting to be able to create and produce your own things. You could get it online and find your audience, you know, and actually mm-hmm. see, Oh, there is an audience or maybe you make your thing and you're, you know, you either find the audience that you know is out there or you find an unexpected audience, which is just as equally exciting. So I really like the parallels with that with solo. Cause especially now I think we're living in a really cool time with uh, Chicago comedy where we've got things like Matt Damon improv, there's stir Friday night, there's generation Latinx. There's all these like little tribes of this, yeah. like, POC like world. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we, we wanted to ask you about, um, I know that you said you wanted to talk about proactive diversity. Yeah. Um, is that what you're uh, referencing groups like Stir Friday and shows yeah. like Black Yeah. It's like, you know, own your own business. Like right now, you know, we, we hear things about, you know, Oh, invest in local businesses like local banks instead of the big banks. There are big problems, you know? So it like, maybe we need to start like in comedy, start making these, POC owned little, you know, shops for lack of a better word, where we can make the things we want. And then it's more of like, and it, it's like an informal like community now where there's all these, and it's not adversarial, or, but it's just like we all work together. So these, like we all do our own little things, but then also we come together and then we mix and all these like cool ways. And I like what's going on. I feel like a lot's happened in the last year or so since the CDC started, the, so the Chicago Diverse uh comedy community mm-hmm. i feel like that kind of kicked it off and then people are like oh yeah i think it created more visibility because i think as a person of color sometimes that's a thing where you're the only person in that class and um or you know i don't want to limit it to people of color but just like 
underrepresented group and there's that only one of you in that class. So you're like, oh, I'm the only one out there. But now I feel like in the last year or two, there's so much more visibility of, oh, we start to see, we're seeing more of each other often, Uh uh, more frequently. We're collaborating on things. We're making, there's all these like cool friendships are sprouting out. There's all these like support systems too, even just amongst the community where it's not, what can you do for me? It's just more just you're connecting with people that you really get along with. Like with uh, Generation Latinx, I really enjoy it because the energy of that group is, it feels more like cousins hanging out. Mm-hmm. Like when we have our like rehearsals and stuff and I've done it for three seasons so far. And we had the first season and then the second season we were adding new people or we had a re-audition and new people would be rolled in. And it was that weird kind of like, the new kids in the class or even just like your group, like if, you know, we're like, oh, there's new people. Like, what's that going to be like? Are they going to mess up this energy? <laughs> Could you explain for our listeners what um, kind of show La- Generation Latinx is? Because we haven't gotten the yeah. chance to know it yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Generation <laughs> Latinx. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Generation Latinx is uh, the brainchild of Michelle Libio. She performs at Comedy Sports. Um, all over, I think she runs the training center at LOL. She does a lot of stuff. And she started this thing uh, to help, you know, provide a space for peop, uh, you know, people of the Latinx diaspora um, and not uh, necessarily limiting it to whether you speak Spanish fluently, you know, because there's varying degrees. And it doesn't, you know, your fluency doesn't necessarily dictate, you know, or shouldn't dictate whether you identify or make you feel weird. So there's like an English team and a Spanglish team. So the Spanglish <laughs> team kind of like mixes a little bit and sometimes it'll do more Spanish and English, like it mixes it up. And then English is just like straight English. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all Latinx. And then usually we end the night with uh, the coaches performing all together. And it'll be coaches from previous seasons or current season or people who oversee other things. Um, but yeah, it's a really fun show. And we will vary like our form. I think we did Armando for a while and then we're doing the Herald now and we just like rotate through things. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. You know, it's improv and we have a video sketch team actually, which is doing really neat stuff. Uh, it's starting to, I think it started after the second season and now I feel like they're starting to pick up steam like because, you know, video or even just producing any type of media takes time. But mm-hmm. now like because they'll premiere two, one or two new video sketches during a show and then it'll end up online. Mm-hmm. So that's been really neat because now it's starting to pay off. And we're starting to see them get up and be, be put up on the screen and online. Which team are you on? Uh, the English team. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, because I'm just, I feel like I'm in my head enough when I improvise, yeah. let alone yeah. like <laughs> my mediocre mastery of uh, Spanish language. I was like, oh, like I, I was like, let's fix, let's get this taken care of first before we start <laughs> to add that other. to get on? Yeah, you audition to get in, and then like every season, you have to re-audition to stay in. Um, it's just also, I, th- I think it's you know to make sure that we're for the directors to kind of get a look at us because sometimes they don't see us if they're coaching other groups. Mm-hmm. So we get to they get to check in with us, see how we're doing, um, and also like you know invite new people in because sometimes you know I think that's sometimes that's a a challenge too with some of these uh, with some groups is you don't know like well. That looks awesome. I want to be a part of it. I have no idea how to, like, is it locked? Is the door locked? Uh-huh. How do I get in? Uh, so it's an opportunity for new people, like, you know, because you go and you see a show, like, oh, I want to do that. I can do that. Or I mm-hmm. didn't know this existed. Um, it's an opportunity for new people to kind of get into the group. Um, so yeah. it's been really good, though. I, our coaches and uh, Michelle do a great job of uh, casting. <laughs> great. I want to go now. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> 
Um, what is it like? Um, so do you speak Spanish? Yeah, not very. Just not fluently? Yeah, just not fluently. Um, yeah, I speak mediocre Spanish. And then I think I, cause I did capoeira for 12 ish years, mm-hmm. which is a Brazilian martial art. I picked up a little Portuguese from there. So, like, they get muddled between each other because mm. of the similarities when there's some things that are very different. And I just say certain words in Spanish, certain words in Portuguese. But yeah, definitely Spanish is a little stronger, but it's just like, I was just like, ah, that's, it's stressful. Because <laughs> I, I, I've noticed in some other things that I've seen, if there's a Spanish speaker on teams, mm-hmm. sometimes they'll try to use it in um, their work. But then, of course, it gets kind of lost when other people on the team don't speak Spanish as well. Yeah. So I wonder what it's uh, like just being able to have that representation, especially in Generation Latinx. Mm-hmm. That's cool that they have two different teams for yeah. that representation. Yeah. But um, as a kind of Spanish speaker, what does that feel like to be able to see that happen on stage? I mean, it's really cool because, I mean, if you, I mean, I think back in the day that you'd be sliced as like a Spanish person and we define mm-hmm. all, uh, or that Spanish slot in a cast or a Spanish mm-hmm. archetype. Mm-hmm. As just like, oh, it's Spanish. And then it's whoever's like hot at the moment. Um, So it could be like, oh, yeah, he's like everybody. Oh, like, yeah, it's more of a John Leguizamo. Why can't you be like, or Lin-Manuel Miranda. Like, why can't you? It's just like versus like, oh, we are a variety of, you know, varying degrees of, you know, some people are half or some people are an eighth. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people speak Spanish and, you know, and then some people don't. Like, it's great for representation as far as like, the range of uh, people of, you know, Latinx performers. Like you see the range, like, oh, you know, we can be diverse within our diverse, uh, you know, subset, which is really exciting. And what kind of uh, audiences do you usually get? Like, are there, are are they diverse too? Or Uh, I'd say it's mixed, you know, you know, we get, you know, white audience members and uh, Latinx, or even just diverse, because we have a lot of, I mean, a lot of we've seen people from like the other big team, like Matt Damon and all these other groups, like they'll periodically come and support um, people who are doing really cool stuff. So that's really exciting too. Um, yeah, just having that support, you know, in the, in the mm-hmm. community. So um, yeah, we got a good, and that's why, you know, we kind of skew the show to be, you know, like you can speak in another language, but you still have to like, there has to be something still interesting happening. Mm. Um, and I guess that really brings out sort of, uh, you know, the tenets of improv. They say it's not what you say, but how you say it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you get to really see it, you know, because, I mean, if you go see Geraldo, which is all in Spanish, um, they're at I.O., you know, it's they pride themselves on being accessible to all audiences, even if they don't speak, even if the audience doesn't speak the language, but because what's, interesting and how it's being said is so you know compelling yeah um so i think that's like a good like that's the proof of it you know you could you know they're if you don't understand it and you're still enjoying what you're seeing they're doing really good work up there (laughs) yeah and how do you approach that in rehearsals um that Um, idea uh i don't know you know i've only been on the english team so i'm not (laughs) so i'm not sure i mean but we do like we'll do rehearsals like we like, uh, we have our, rehe- our rehearsals are on Saturday and we all meet at the same time. Uh, video sketch, video sketch, uh, the English team and the Spanglish team. Mm-hmm. So we'll meet in like one theater and we'll do warm up, like a group warm up together and for announcements. And then we break off to our separate rehearsals, which is really cool because we get to connect. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes you'll get that too, where, you know, like in grade school where, you know, there's two second grade classes and you're in one mm-hmm. and you don't know who's in the other one. <laughs> and then, so it's like a really good way to sort of make sure that we're, 
building like even just amongst ourselves like a good community mm-hmm. um but like we'll play together and we're playing with people who like you know the spanglish team will play with people who only who usually only perform in english and vice versa and also it's an opportunity i think for people who are on the english team or don't feel super confident they could like experiment with it mm-hmm. you know and no. dabble their feet yeah. and then uh, you know, those auditions that we have are great because it's an opportunity if you wanted to like, you know, I, yeah, I want to try being on the Spanglish team, you know, mm-hmm. cause also you're not committed to only doing Spanish on the Spanglish team. You know, mm-hmm. you can, it's, you could do dip in and out of both. Um, so that's really cool. So it's nice to foster that, uh, mobility even within the team. Yeah. That's great. Having that flexibility to then have that, um, that variety, like you said, of representation, just all on one team, which yeah. is um, really great to see, I think, yeah. um, in the community. Yeah, yeah, because everybody, you know, every performer has their the thing that they're good at or mm-hmm. that they excel in, um, or that's them. And it's cool because you get to see other people, you know, of your underrepresented group, like, together, and you see, like, oh, man, like, all these, like, variety of abilities, and you can, you know, admire them, be inspired by them um learn from them which is really exciting mm-hmm. um so i think that's like a great benefit of the team too cool um now so in addition to all of the ensembles that you're in you perform solo sketch yeah um what is the what is the difference between those two and um like i don't know what do you enjoy about both i guess um, <laughs> i like solo because from a logistical standpoint mm-hmm. it's great because you know how i mean anybody who's been in a improv team or a sketch group knows coordinating rehearsals. The more people on a team, the harder it is to get people a consensus on like, when do we meet? Mm -hmm. So that kind of thing. And if it's just you, it's a little easy. It's just you like rehearsing on your own. Or if you have a coach, like I have a coach that I'll like check in with and run things by and get notes on, but that's it. It's easier for me to like, book shows or schedule versus like hey do i have enough people because that always looks bad too when you're mm. you, know, you have to make sure there's enough people available and then you have to book it and then you have to hope that everybody still shows up uh versus it's just it's on you really you're it's you just know. you you don't need to coordinate it yeah <laughs> and it's and it's really it's scary too and the like i really i think last october is when i really started really trying to work on it because I knew it was a skill that I did not have at all. Mm-hmm. Like I just wasn't – like I auditioned for Bob Curry twice and felt very unprepared because I'd never done that. You know, my, And it is because you're out there alone. So then this year I was like, you know, like I don't want to get good at it for this audition. I just want to get good at it because it's something that – like it's just like a deficiency I have. Mm-hmm. And I really like watching solo shows. So why can't I? And I think that's some of the like just having a background martial art, the idea that it's not about the talent necessarily. It's about the consistency because mm-hmm. um, there's people who are talented that show up and that maybe disappear, but it's just being diligent and consistent, just working at it until, you know, you get, you know, you get, if it's something you enjoy, you'll get to where you need to be, but also it's easier to maintain because you enjoy the journey and it's not necessarily the sort of like a destination. So like the solo, I just like, it cause it's so much fun. I get to play a variety of characters, experiment with things. Uh, and uh, it, you know, going back to the martial art thing, I like the, the romantic idea of, uh, I loved Street Fighter growing up. You know, the mm-hmm. idea that this, like, you know, <laughs> Ryu, the main character, is traveling around the world and all these, like, seedy uh, <laughs> spots, you know, training and fighting all these people. So it almost feels like that, where I, you mm-hmm. know, I, and it, you know, I get it, I go around, do shows, like, wherever I'm trying to do it as, in as many different places as possible, too. And, like, I've grown up in Chicago, so it's almost like being a tourist. So I'm finding all these, like, new mm-hmm. spaces that, 
aren't that are outside, you know, the big buildings in the city, you know, these little open mics or these, these little bars. And also you see other people, you start to like discover all these other people who are really talented or doing stuff that maybe doesn't necessarily fit in sort of like the sort of the norm or stand mm-hmm. or the standardized slot that's available for the opportunity in the big buildings. So I think that's really cool. Cause you start to see these people who are like, Oh, there's a lot of people who are really good that just don't, that aren't like, like on the big stage, but that doesn't mean they're not like as good as the people on those stages or even better. So that's kind of really cool. Like discovering those things. That's cool. It's kind of like the underground comedy scene yeah (laughs) matters it's different when you approach your solo as opposed to your group work yeah i think so maybe uh i think with the solo stuff something that's come from it just like doing it a lot and consistently uh is just figuring out my voice which is also like kind of like one of the goals too i was like well i just want to get good this thing i'm scared of but also figure out my point of view because i think that's like a hard part as a performer Mm -hmm. because you know you're looking to all these people that are existing or that are big and you're like, Oh, that's what like success looks like. Or that's the shoe you got to fill versus figuring out your own shoe or figuring out your own thing that you do. I think that was a benefit of it. And you feel, start to feel more comfortable and a little, you know, with like, Oh yeah, this is kind of like, you get an idea of like, well, I like doing this or you start to analyze and figure out this is what people like seeing me do. This is what I like to like doing. And like that little center between those, like that's where you, know, you could perform stuff. Uh, have you identified a kind of style that you lean towards more? Yeah. I mean, with the characters, I, I like, like I would, I used to describe it as if I do a character that annoys my friends, it's probably a really good character to put on a stage. Um, <laughs> That's a great um, yeah. <laughs> way to follow. Yeah. yeah. Cause I was like, okay, there's something there, but I, I think it's these weird quirky characters with, and like trying to find the good in them or something that mm. like, a, you know, they, they're getting everything wrong, but there's kind of one thing that they get right. Or uh, like this toy story, uh, like what is it? Pixar, they have their rules for storytelling. And one of them mm. is, uh, you know, it's not really about the character, whether the character wins or not. It's uh, how they persevere in the face huh. of adversity. So, uh, you know, and that's where you're kind of where you're tested when you're sort of under stress. So I like that part of the characters too. Um, like a character I like doing, although he's he's in the news in an unflattering fashion, is DJ Khaled. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like such a big, because initially, and it's weird because it'll start from a place of distaste for me. And then like I'll go down a rabbit hole of just like listening to podcasts, reading articles about this, like whether it's like Flat Earthers, DJ Khaled. And I just like, and I like, not that I flip or get Stockholm, but I'm like, this is this is this is their thing, or this is why they are the way they are. He's a real person. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like his thing too is I even bought his like he's got a book that was a New York Times. Oh, wow. I found out much later when I started like I had a piece <laughs> that I was doing for a while. Did he write it himself? I I think so. It sounds like him, <laughs> or he dictated it to his wife or his child or his personal trainer that these people he travels with. But oh, uh, <laughs> but the book it's crazy because he talks about just. You know, they don't, he always talks about they, they don't want you to win. They don't want to, like, he has this very, like, the world is against them. So he has to work much harder and be very persistent. I've heard him in interviews too, where he was very, like, the best story was like Jay-Z. He wanted Jay-Z to, he wanted Jay-Z on a track. Jay-Z was like, yeah, 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 we'll get in touch. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) But he was super persistent. He bought like a condo 
in New York to be close and to kind of be in his ear about it. And then he started, he got him to do it. And then he's like, I need a music video. So then he was like, hey, you know, like, you know, let's, let's do this. When are we going to do it? And he's like, hey, what? I didn't say that, but like, I see I you. I would have gone to Beyonce first, but that's just my thing. Right, right. Well, <laughs> well you, know, he's, he's, you know, he's definitely proven to be a very macho dude in the last, or have some yeah. macho opinions uh, in the la- recent. So that might explain it. But, mm. but he was just like, and then he even went to, he's like, he went to Jay-Z's, like the guy who handles his calendar. And he was like, hey, oh, like he said, we're going to do this thing. You know, we need to get this on the schedule. Like that kind of weird going behind somebody. You're right. That was my reaction because oh. I, I hate person like people who are you know those those little bugaboo people who like, you know they they get they're like hey hey can you do this and like oh no thank you oh come on you got to do this and they keep like bugging you, but he's that like his bugabooness is what like gets him thing like it gets him like people just get tired of him, and just to get him off there they're like fine we'll do it and like he got Jay Z to do this video, but just that. Not that you got to be that obnoxious, but I think just even a little persistence, especially when you're doing comedy, because there's no shortage of reject- rejection. Yeah. Um, you know, some of it's, and there's all these like weird variables in the rejection too, whether it's, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, ability or you assume like, oh, it's an ability, it's my ability or it's like me, me as a performer, me as a person versus there's like weird random things like could be politics. Mm-hmm. It could be somebody's friend that's, you know, auditioning. It could be somebody has more like prestige around them or visibility. Like, oh yeah, this will bring an audience or people know this name. Number of social media followers. Yeah, that's a big yeah. thing. Like, yeah, that is. Strange. I've heard in like mm-hmm. casting things now too. They look at your social media reach, which is strange. Like, oh no, this mm-hmm. this person might not be as good, but we're gonna get this many eyeballs hmm. like on this other product. So we only need so many talented people. And we need the rest. We could fill up with people who are gonna like bring eyeballs in huh. so it's just weird that strategy but um but yeah there's all these like weird things you start to learn like oh well, just keep going forward like you're not gonna you're not gonna get worse or you're you know you'll you know there's no shortage of rejection but if you just keep going forward you'll be rejected a little less and less eventually or you'll get good at it or you'll find a different aspect of it that you're much better at yeah that's a yeah it's a great way to look at it you have to um, show up to the audition to get cast right yeah yeah <laughs> There's many different ways to network. <laughs> I guess uh, if we want to go the TJ Kelly route. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's that's, that's excessive. <laughs> and like even you like you can it, learn things. Not from everyone it. can afford to buy a condo next to Jay Z. <laughs> it gave me my skin crawl. I was just like, oh, like yeah, it, that like, was weird. That's a weird. Story. I was just like, that's too much. Too uh, far. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh, but he's got that weird persistence where, mm-hmm. and he inspires people, which is cool. Um, you know, like if that's where people find their inspiration to. Follow, like who cares um yeah. as long as they don't follow their more problematic beliefs um mm-hmm. that's even better just take the good stuff from you know these people because <laughs> nobody's perfect and like we live in an age where like our heroes are dying at a rapid rate <laughs> so it's yeah. just like you know take the let take the take you know you don't gotta just take what you liked about them and mm-hmm. like roll them into you and improve upon it you know be the next version that's better and moves things forward that's great that's cool um, now, you talked a little bit about your martial arts background already, mm-hmm. um, but can you speak more to how you incorporate that into your comedy um, through, like, physical performance or mm-hmm. however you see that connection? Yeah. Um, I did Capoeira for 12 years, and I had done martial arts all throughout my life, pretty much on and off. Cool. Um, and then I've been training jiu-jitsu for the last year and a half or so. But, like, I think the first year I was, like, going, like, seven to nine times a week. So I'm crazy. And then... 
like my work situation changed a little bit. So then it's like five days a week, mm-hmm. but it's just like, like I feel like most, like we have our Latinx, our generation Latinx rehearsals on Saturdays at 10 and I have a jujitsu class eight to nine fifteen. So I get there and I'm like bouncing off the wall. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like super before I even had coffee. And I think that's what I just like, I think I'm just more of a physical, uh, I, or I find more success when I'm more physical with my characters or, um, yeah. And I think it's that physicality and just years of learning how your body works and how other people's body works. Um, and I think just like, I was like, Oh, okay. I feel comfortable moving around space. And then sometimes when I don't move around, like I notice it's like, that wasn't a good scene. That was probably why. Not that you got to be like, you know, a spastic dork on stage, but (laughs) you know, just, you know, certain characters have different ways they walk and Mm -hmm. martial arts, they teach you different ways of moving. And, uh, and even sometimes within a martial arts, a variety of like movements like oh there's like a set that might be circular or linear and you know you learn to you know just manipulate the body and move around and even like intuition which i think helps but i just like the like capoeira is like a very expressive martial art so it's a lot of it's like a dance isn't it yeah it's uh is created by the slaves in colonial brazil and they had to mask it as a dance because they weren't allowed to have weapons or the such so they would like mask it as a dance and then Hmm. uh as i think they had a it was illegal for a while even just in general like the practice of it and then it was institutionalized and they made it legal because they had a as long as they created a school around it and had like a system but then you know it got influenced by other martial arts you know when it got exposed to it so it picked up all these like crazy things like um, yeah, there's like a, a lot of flipping, acrobatics, a lot of being sneaky is like a big thing of it too. Mm-hmm. And masking your intention, which I think kind of plays into theater, you know, masking your character or putting on stage combat. Yeah. <laughs> Although I've never, I haven't taken a stage combat class. Um, so like, which I think I probably need, cause that's like different. Cause I've had like mm-hmm. a teacher, like coach, uh, like, Oh, you'd want to do this if you want to do that. I was like, Oh, that's very different. <laughs> but yeah. I'm used to, which I just, I'm not really physical with other people on the stage just cause of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I'm used to martial arts because we like roughhouse and roughhousing is like but it's usually like we're playing and like it looks probably like we're being awful to each other but it's just like we're comfortable we know like how to play with each other mm-hmm. um, but yeah but I think I just it makes me more playful and I feel more like at ease taking risks when I'm physical when you create a character on stage um, either for like beginning to write solo sketch or mm-hmm. bringing it into an improv scene, do you ever start it with a certain physicality and then move from there? Yeah, sometimes. So it's it's a variety. So I have the idea. And I, I think what I've found works for me is instead of trying to, you know, you can't go uh, like full method. You know, that's <laughs> just inst- like we're not like I'm not being paid to like spend my every waking hour living. But you find that one little thing that maybe defines a character, or the one mm-hmm. little physical thing, whether it's how they talk, uh, whether you know how they gesture with certain things, how they carry themselves, you know who they choose to talk to in a scene, or how they talk to them. But just finding like I think find one little character thing, whether it's like a walk, uh, a catchphrase, mm-hmm. a gesture. Just find a little thing that's easy for you to keep doing. Mm-hmm. Or you use it as an exclamation point when you're playing that character. I think that helps. Uh, but simplify it. Because mm-hmm. the more uh, the more complex it is, the harder it is for you to enjoy playing in that character, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, at least from like a solo perspective. Um, or even, yeah, an improv. Like find something that's simple. So 
Because if you're too worried about creating this elaborate character that interferes with you connecting with your scene partner, that doesn't help like an improv show. Mm -hmm. So find that one little thing that gives your character something interesting to have your, so you're, you're giving something, one little thing that's interesting that maybe informs your scene partner and then maybe informs yourself. Because you know, okay, no matter what I say, I know this one thing is true. There's just, this person always walks like this. They always feel they need to make this catchphrase. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, find, I think simplicity, simplicity is like the easiest thing. Find one little thing. And you could add two things later, like a variety. But like start with one thing that's maintainable or sustainable. Is it always something physical or do you also ask questions about their psychology as well or yeah I, you know usually it's it's either something physical uh a phrase or something or something that's in that they always use or that's in the way they say what they say or an accent even and then sometimes it might just be a secret secrets are cool like if you have this thing that you're you don't want the other person to find out and it forms your point of view mm. like that helps too and that's and then you get really you know, and it doesn't matter if the other person ever discovers a secret as long as the scene is interesting. But then you lose your mind when the person's like, hey, like, is this what's wrong with you? And it comes out in a scene like, and that's, you know, like a bonus. Yeah. Not that that's, not that you're playing a guessing game, but it's just like a little thing that. It's like subtext, right? Yeah. Like that's always most, you know, like people don't, you know, it's not what you say, how you say it. Mm -hmm. um, and people like that, the challenge of reading between the lines, especially when they, they feel like there's something there. Um, so as long as there's like a pattern, cause you know, humans like patterns. So as long as there's a pattern mm -hmm. to your character, I think it'll be interesting. That's cool. That's um, you mentioned, um, earlier, I guess in the, the form that we sent you, um, yeah. about wellness as an artist. Yeah. Um, I wondered if you could go into more of that, if you, that's what you're talking about with like, you know, doing your martial arts and then going into rehearsal and being energized by that or yeah. mental wellness or... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wellness. So wellness, um, sleeping is always good. I think sometimes as performers, you know, we neglect that. So like I try and employ what I've called, I've, I've heard called the rock star rule where you don't do two, try not to do two shows or mm. two shows, especially two late shows, like back to back. Oh. So have that one day you go home and rest, recover. And even just your ideas need space to breathe and just like, mm like go into your subconscious and like mix around so new things come of it. Um, Cause you know, you can't, you know, after a while, like there's nothing there. It's, you have to like refill the cup. So, um, so yeah, so just balancing yourself and not overdoing it. Um, trying to like, I think eating well, at least for me, cause I don't want to say like, this is what, cause I think there's a lot of that too. Like this is what people need to be doing. This is, this is what works for me. And like, mm -hmm. you know, we're all different. And, you know, take what works for you. Do but, you see a lot of burnout in the community? Uh, yeah, periodically. You'll see people who, they kind of did too much. Because if you, and I, I, like, every once in a while, I'll get, I was like, oh, I'm doing too much. I got to slow down. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's like a train that's moving really fast. And then once it hits something, it, like, derails. And there's, like, a giant horrific accident, right? Mm -hmm. Versus, you know. Been there. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, so you have to kind of be careful because if something happens, let's say you get sick and you have all this, these dire commitments, mm. um, if there's too many dire commitments, it's like, oh, like you got to like fix it or, but it, yeah. And also it shows, you know, you're committing to something, to being somewhere. And if you're not there, you know, you're letting your team down or whoever booked the thing. Cause if you don't show up and then other people show up, you can't control whether the other people in the lineup show up, but you do have control over whether you show up. 
So if you take care of yourself, you know, that's one less uh, thing that could go wrong for whoever is producing the show. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just resting, making sure, like keeping a calendar even so you could like, you know, you might have all this stuff in your brain or have it on a calendar that you never see it, but sometimes you got to physically look at it and look, oh, there's a lot like clustered. I got to spread it out. Um, yeah, I think making sure you have time to do things like read, watch movies, go for a walk, spend time with your family. Um, yeah, because those are the things that, you know, as an artist, right? Artists, you draw from your life or how you yeah. mm -hmm. uh, interpret the things that you come in contact with. But if you're not having any of that, mm -hmm. you know, your material just like it's it's not as, I think, personal stuff or unique points of view are interesting. But it's hard to find that if you're just performing all the time. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance. You have to perform regularly. But also you have to sort of balance that, which is taking care of yourself and uh, – giving yourself room or giving yourself, giving your subconscious room to regenerate and also just have new things come up. You have to have a life too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to, what is it? The, what is it? Uh, the point of an artist is to have a lead an interesting life that they reflect upon. Mm -hmm. I who said that somebody famous, not me. So don't like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to steal valor. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's just, have things because you know that's you know, we love to watch somebody rant on a stage about something that they hate um so you have to have find those things that you hate mm -hmm. and uh spend weeks at a time listening to podcasts and <laughs> on dj Khaled or flat earth people but like yeah <laughs> yeah but just find that thing that and like i think some of it too is you have to find those words like oh that's obnoxious and and then you have to like why is this obnoxious or how could this thing exist? And then you go and you go down that rabbit hole. Um, and then you have material to work with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you mentioned that you have a, a two-year-old. Yes, I do. How has that affected your comedy? Oh, like it's great. She's very inspiring. She's wonderful. She's terrible chewing at the moment, which has been a challenge while performing. And not a bad way. I mean, she's like, she's developing. So it's just an adventure. So I was like, whoa, like it's a lot of, attitude um but she's like super she's wonderful she's really sweet she's very uh empathetic but she's also really sneaky and clever <laughs> so like i got like you can't turn your back on her um but yeah it's great and, it, and you know and that's the other thing too is like having having a kid like it makes me realize oh like when i'm outside of the house and i'm doing these things like i gotta be like 100 percent because if it's mm -hmm. taking time away from my family i need to make sure that it's something worthwhile or that's something that the quality, like at least if I'm not there, I got to make sure that this is like I'm creating a, or making a significant contribution and like making sure I'm doing the best I can with whatever like show I'm doing or performing. And I got to like not waste that time, you know, because then that's like the bigger crime is going to go do something else that you're kind of just like half-assing. <laughs> um, so yeah, just be more deliberate and balanced. How, do you think that's changed the subjects that you um, present on stage or that you have, do you do any pieces about fatherhood at all? Uh, I don't know. I think the way it's changed, I think the combination of, I think it was like in like waves, right? So first came the improv and performing and like learning, like not learning empathy, but just, you know, when you perform, you try and find a way to empathize with the character. And then I think having a kid, you start to empathize even more or it's even more heightened because you're like, oh, shit, like everybody's somebody's kid. <laughs> like this stoner moment. So like you're like way more like, 
<laughs> like seeing uh, like seeing a homeless person like fucks you up a little bit when you're like, oh, like, damn. Like, I'm sure their parents did not have it in their cards. Um, but yeah, like you end up like sympathetic, even like with these characters. I'm like, this person is an idiot. Like how did their parents <laughs> let them get this far? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So like it's maybe like really empathetic. You know, just people in general. Um, you start to like, you know, everybody's an asshole. If people who are an asshole, when you come across an asshole, you start to ask, like, why are they an asshole? Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on? Um, and you try to find the good or, like, find a way to work with them. Or, um, yeah, and you make – sometimes you get to make friends with people who have trouble making with other making friends with other people because it might just be, you know, people just don't take the time to talk to that person or understand mm-hmm. them. Um, that being said, you know, if it's, like, a problematic-ass person, like – Uh, you know you don't need to make time for that but um yeah but just being more empathetic and looking like it's like an extra lens that i have now that i look through the world at and just people i work with the things i see in the news like i have a rule now i was like no bad news after seven o'clock i was like i I don't have it in me it's it's a good part of wellness (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. i was like i need to like wind down yeah I just kept thinking, DJ Khaled has a mom and dad. Yeah, right? <laughs> and a kid. And a kid. <laughs> I hope he's taking care of them. <laughs> yeah. um, well, that's great. That's awesome. Um, I think, do you have any more questions? Well, before we started recording, um, you were talking a little bit about your writing process. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think in the last year, my biggest personal achievement, not that it's perfect, but it's like, ah, this feels like, easy to do like my like creative process a little bit uh as far as like capture even just capturing ideas because usually i find i'm most creative right after like in the morning right after my jujitsu class it's at like 6 30 7 30 at brazil 021 on chicago and national <laughs> plug um but no i feel like my brain feels like it's all like revved up from this like dynamic problem solving in class and i'll get out and i'll have all these ideas and then like I used to just write it down on a notebook, and now I just write it down on my phone in Evernote, which is an app that you could, you know, you could have a, you could pull it up on your computer, your browser, your iPad. So it's all like synced up, and it's super easy to jot things. So I'll just like make like uh, a notebook, and then I'll make a notebook for every like sort of like there's so there's like a one for my sketch group, one for my solo. Um, one for like administrative stuff, like, like, so like shows, like I just like keep adding to the list whenever I add a show so I can always get to it. And then as far as writing goes, like, I'll just like, I have a sort of doc for each of the, Oh, this is a cool character. This, this is something I heard. And I'll just like, as things come up, I'll like add to the list and I'll just keep adding it. And after a while, it's like, Oh, there's enough here. Or like, Ooh, I like this. I'm going to go experiment with it. And I'll, and then from there, I'll actually write it into a draft, like in Google docs versus starting from a, I'm going to format it in a perfect, because for me, I feel like that's a barrier versus just mm-hmm. writing things and waiting for things. Because sometimes, like, it just, uh, was it feast or famine with my ideas sometimes? Or, like, when it rains, it pours, it just, like, you know, I'll just have, like, a bunch of them at once. I was like, oh, I got to, like, just jot it all down. I'll come back to it later. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it organized so I could find it later. So, yeah. So then I'll do that. And then, and even sometimes with the, just even with the Evernote, I'll, like, okay, like, this is something I'm going to. When I, I'm going to go do this solo set, I'm going to do two things that I feel strong about and then two things I might improvise through or improvise through beats. So like 
So like it's kind of like I'm protecting myself a little bit, but also the audience. Like I don't want them to feel like I wasted their time. Mm -hmm. So at least if I gave them two things that are half cooked, you know, they had like two things that have been prepared well. Uh, so I'll do that um, as far as like, and I'll see like, and I'll record it, whether it's audio or even just with uh, my phone. Like I have a little portable recording kit or tripod. Mm -hmm. So I just set it up, I'll record it and I can go back and listen to it. I'm like, okay, um, this worked and I'll script it out and I'll get notes from my coach um, who like I'll pitch stuff to like, Hey, this is what I worked on. You know, what do you think? And I'll get notes from her. I'll integrate that. And then I'll run it again. And I'll like, I'll memorize the beats or like certain key lines so I could find new things too. Um, so that's the, you know, cause you're always like, you keep like working at it. And like, I think it ties to like my background as a designer, just that like the craft in it of, you know, it's never done necessarily like mm -hmm. your piece, you're always working on it. But you do have to always have new things. Um, you have to have new things, and then you also have to craft them and like bring them up to like a reasonable place. Because also, I'll go through that like a bad phase where I'll just like I'm just generating a ton of ideas, mm -hmm. and I'm putting them up, and they're like 50% cooked, but I just haven't scripted them yet. So like it's a balance of that. So now I've tried to do where it's like 50/50. Like one thing I rewrite half the things, and then the other half of the time I could spend with like new stuff. So just that balance of uh, cultivating what's there and also like, you know, making new stuff because, you know, you don't want to like you don't run of ideas and you don't know when your next good idea is going to be. So you just got to be like getting the bad ones out of the way to mm -hmm. get closer to the good one or the next good one. Yeah. How do you approach um, like notes after you present something to an audience for the first time? Like, do you take notes on like when they left or like how uh, do you how do you think about well, that? recording it? Cause you could go back and like re-listen to it mm -hmm. and hear it. Mm -hmm. um, that's one way, but also sometimes I might forget or, but sometimes I won't even go back to the recording. Sometimes I won't go back to it because there'll be something else like, Oh, they laughed at this. Mm -hmm. I just like weird thing. And I was like, okay, so I know there's something there. Mm -hmm. So do I do more of it? And like, even just asking like, why did they laugh at that? Um, so yeah. So that, you know, just noticing what's sometimes what's most, the most important thing is what's top of mind for you, like what you notice the most. Because maybe there might be other little solitudes. You can get to that, but just take care of like like the thing that the audience is telling you that mm -hmm. they like the most. And usually that's what you remember. Like, hey, they laughed at this weird, unexpected part. They, or they laughed at this thing that I wrote, like that was supposed to be funny, but not as funny as this other thing. And that other thing that was supposed to be like the killer is garbage. So I either <laughs> got to toss it or flip or, you know, rotate their position, hmm. you know, in the set or in the piece. So, yeah, but I like that part of it, too, that uh, iterative, uh, you know, it's never done. You're always, like, moving things around. Like, it's like Legos. You know, you got these pieces, and you're, like, swapping them in and out till you get, like, the right configuration. Yeah. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's, like, how I handle that. Um, you know, listen, you know, record, think about what was memorable. Uh, sometimes, also, like, depending on what the audience reacts to, you could kind of, like, play with that more. Like, in the moment, you could, like, adjust your scene to, like, Hey, they laughed at this. I'm going to double check on that and do it again mm -hmm. in a little bit and yeah. like validate that finding. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's almost scientific. Yeah. It's yeah, scientific. it is. Like, yeah, it definitely is. Like, cause it's, you know, you come up with this, I think this, or this, this makes me laugh or this annoys my family and friends. And then you're like, all right, I have a hypothesis that <laughs> this is what's funny about it. And then you go and you put it up there and you get a sense of what, it, you know, like what are the particulars of it? Um, sometimes they don't laugh. Um, and you got to like 
just adjust accordingly. But you can experiment and like, you know, you move the dial back and forth to get that right frequency of like, ah, here it is. This is what they liked. Mm -hmm. And it's like really satisfying when you do it a couple of times. And you know, it only hurts the most when you do it the first time. It's just like not well received, <laughs> which like is like, like I, I'm trying to pad it where I do like new, heavy new stuff every other sometimes too. Cause I was like, I need an upper. So I need to have a set that's just the good stuff. So I get my spirits back and then I'll go back to the, but, um, yeah, but there's, I think that's the really interesting part too, is even just that playful experimentation that you do with the work where, you know, you just let it organically grow and you're responsive to like what the audience tells you. Um, and also like what you feel when you're on the stage performing it. Cause also the yeah. audience, you know, just because they're not laughing, there might still be something compelling when there's silence because they're really listening to what you're saying. And sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, and, oh, <laughs> like, a, like a sympathetic is just as satisfying to them as like a laugh. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why, too, I like, like, I, like those, I feel, are like the treasures if you're like, you know, writing sketch or putting something up. If you can get laughs, but also get that like com compassionate affectation for them or, play, or the, that sympathetic response to what they're seeing mm -hmm. like that's also satisfying because that's something that's i think harder to get sometimes like uh -huh. sometimes you know laughs are hard but i think all that that getting that balancing with and getting that sympathy yeah. or that just affectation where they're satisfied and you made them feel something in addition to the laughter mm -hmm. yeah. um so they're hard to come by but they're super satisfying when you get them i Want to transition then sure. into our final portion, which I think we emailed you a prompt about. Um, we like to kind of improvise, improvise <laughs> slash make a sketch at the end of each of our shows. Yeah. Um, based on um, something, something that you've, I don't, that pops out at you. Um, I forget the prompt now. Um, it's like something about like, if you, oh yeah, if you could satirize, um, the way you feel as a and from an underrepresented group mm -hmm. or um i don't know something that pops out to you about being a poc yeah um i think it's always interesting when you run into so allies come in all shapes and sizes and varying degrees of uh pain in the ass to like yay you're helping um <laughs> but like sometimes there's people who like they feel like i know what's going on I've backpacked through Europe, you know, like all these kinds of, like <laughs> I've been to Argentina. Like I know how this should be cooked. Like all this like weird. Yeah. Like they have like this weird, like sense of authority on authenticity, but they like to like flex, I guess, which is like, yeah. Right. And like, I've they seen it bond with you. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen it. Like I've seen it. Like I've sort of been on the receiving end of it. Mm -hmm. And I've also like sat across and watched it. And like exchange glances from the other person, <laughs> and we're like, "Oh, <laughs> this is happening." Uh -oh. uh, but it's kind of funny. But it's yeah, it's weird. Um, mm -hmm. Like they're like, "I know this, and I need to show you how much." And then it's like, and they expect you to know it too. I was like, "Man, like you travel." I was like, "I'm not even like I'm Puerto Rican. I'm not from like I. <laughs> I guess that's how they cook a steak." <laughs> um, a different country. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's cool. I mean, I was like trying their best. <laughs> yeah, and then and then sometimes it's well, how could you? How could you not? Mm -hmm. Well, so you're telling, and like, and then they get really inquisitive or too inquisitive. Like, well, what do you what What do you guys cook? How do you cook it? What's well, what degree? Like, they get way. I was like, I don't know. Like, till it's done or till it tastes like <laughs> like some of it. Like, we can't. Like, yeah, I think maybe that. I don't even eat 
mistake. <laughs> I think sometimes too is that need to be able to quant to quantify, I guess, things like as far as like quantify how uh, ethnically authentic maybe you are uh, in comparison to how like I guess pseudo woke they might be of like what uh, like uh, necessitates authenticity. It's almost like they're like a license. Like they're the, they're the, they're uh, the person who gives out the licenses kind oh, of. God. And they're like, well, <laughs> we have one more potion on the test. Uh, um, but yeah. So I think that, that, that I don't know why it tickles me. It, it used to, and it's that thing where it used to annoy me. And now I kind of live for it a little bit with it. Cause then I just like be very misleading and I'll disseminate false facts or I'll just like uh, troll them for lack of a better word. I was like, well, you, you, you came on my property. <laughs> I was like, anything that happens now is fair game. Um, and then you torment them. Um, but yeah. Fun. So yeah, so I guess that's, that's something. How would you put that into like a sketch? Oh, uh, how would I put that into a sketch? <laughs> that the three of us could... Improvised I feel like oh. you'll be playing a pseudo-woke person. <laughs> Probably. I tend to be hey, the white hey, person. You, you know what? We hope you found uh, the meal um, as pleasant to eat as we enjoyed serving it. Um, we don't get many reviewers. Thank you for coming, Miss Margaret Marguerite. Of course. You could be make or break for our little restaurant, so. Of course. Mm. I mean, I am very happy to come out. I love to come to all of the ethnic food restaurants that open in Chicago. Um, my readers are really looking to me to uh, find those places. And uh, it's really unique that you have this um, Chinese-Puerto Rican fusion. Um, We're the only one in Chicago. Yep. That's fantastic. For now, I'm, for now. I'm just a little bit confused um, because I got all the lovely food you've created here. But I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, I think your, your, um, your menu is missing some things that my readers, you know, look for typically in a restaurant of this type. Um, one of those things would be um, tamales. I mean, isn't that iconic of all Puerto Rican food, tamales, where are they? Uh, they're like an ocean away. Um, that's more <laughs> Mexico. Oh, um, is it? Yeah, downstairs mm -hmm. America. I see. Um, it is not an island at all. Yeah. I just think that's something that maybe you should maybe consider adding in the future. My, my readers really enjoy tamales. That's one of our best um, reviewed food things. So just, 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 you know, I, well, well, and yeah. I've, I've been to Puerto Rico actually, and I enjoyed some very oh. good tamales there. You might, you oh. might maybe check that out. I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, also, plantains. I'd love to know where. Plantains. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't remember the exact location, of course, oh. but I'm sure they're everywhere, right? They're everywhere. Right? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> You're the reviewer. <laughs> and you know, Whenever I think of Chinese food, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is General Tso's chicken. Where is the General Tso's chicken? And you, maybe you can make a General Tso's chicken tamale. What do you think of that? Hmm. Huh. Um, no thoughts, huh? Neither of us prepare either one of those. Oh, I see. I'm um, just, so, okay. I mean, we... I mean, I mean, we pride ourselves with being, you know, a really authentic Chinese hyphen Puerto Rican fusion restaurant. Mm, yeah, of course. Authentic, authentic. I've been to a lot of authentic Chinese restaurants that have that General Tso's chicken. And I know, I know my readers love that. They love it. That is my favorite dish when I visit China every time. 
Oh, mm-hmm. you, you've been that often. Oh, That's oh, amazing. Yes. yes. I, I, as a ethnic food reviewer, mm-hmm. I, I've been to many, many um, foreign countries and studied their food so that I can um, really review the food uh, to its full capacity here in Chicago. Did you order off of the English menu or the Cantonese menu when you were abroad? Oh, oh, in China? Uh, the, definitely the English. I mean, I don't speak Cantonese, so I, was, I had to order off the English menu, of course. <laughs> so maybe it's not the, uh, the most, you know, authentic um, experience, but still, but still. I mean, they're an authentic Chinese restaurant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We're, I mean who are we? To, I mean, you're the reviewer. We, <laughs> sure. We're just trying to, you know, make sure you've, you had a good time. Your readers have a good time when they read your review. Um, so if tamales and general sauce chicken is going to oh, be what yes. it's going to take. I think, I think that's a yes. We need that as, a, as the eaters of Chicago. Maybe we can create a special menu. Yes, a, a, a secret, like a double secret menu. Oh, a special menu. That might be yeah. interesting. That might draw in the crowd. Not only insiders like you will know oh, to ask for it. Of course. Well, what can you tell me more about a little bit about the things that I've eaten here? Well, uh, right here we have uh, some oxtail. Oh yes, the oxtail was very delicious. Yes, um, um, with uh, you know braised a little bit with uh, some crunched up uh, fortune cookies on the top that are caramelized. Mm. Side of chicken feet. Oh, very cool. And now, might I suggest yes. thinking about serving these things in a taco? I mean, right? Tacos are a thing. In Puerto Rican countries, uh, por, por, well, Puerto Rico. I mean, we have, I mean, we have jibaros. Uh, we have uh, jibaros. Mm-hmm. We have uh, piñones. Uh, things you know. Generally, we we tend to wrap things in plantains, uh, uh, bananas. Um, you know. Oh, case. plantains like like the crunchy shells. I think I've had that uh, at uh, other um, Hispanic restaurants before. The crunchy shells. Yeah. To the tacos. Uh, um, Crunchy, crunchy, crunchy. Yeah, crunchy. That's uh. I mean, I, I don't want to discourage. I, I, who am I to disrespect Taco Bell? They've done their thing for a while. They're massive. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's. I don't even think. I don't even know if that's a Mexican. I think that's a Taco Bell thing. Well, I think Taco Bell. They. I mean, they had their roots in Mexican cuisine, of course. And you know, as a food reviewer, I don't eat there anymore. But as a college student mm-hmm. in food reviewery mm-hmm. um which is it from my online college oh just saying um it definitely the roots are there which i think in your restaurant here the uh-huh. roots are there yes. um which is fantastic it's great to see i'll be sure to equate that in my review that i um make yeah i mean as you know as as long as it's you know a sparkling review i i couldn't care less what you said just Get the you know get the address right. <laughs> I may have to add a couple things. I'm sorry. I'm just a little bit hung up on the. I think some things are missing from your menu just from visiting the two countries before. If my readers are looking for an authentic, um, non-Americanized, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, idea, then I think there are just some things that are missing. So I, I will have to include that. I'm so sorry. Oh, we, we, well, well, we're you know we're we will take your recommendations under consideration. Yes. Thank you so much. You I'm, both are very lovely. Thank you so much for allowing me to come into your restaurant. Well, you're a guest, and uh, we are 
we're happy to have you come here and tell us the way it should be. Always right, isn't it? You're so right. Yes. Oh, thank you guys so much. Um, Be sure to look out for my uh, article. It should be in the the weekend. post in the post oh all in right we will you know we're gonna you know you're gonna put that in there we're gonna put a special dish named after you la cola nicer oh thank you maybe so we can take much. a selfie with you yeah oh my gosh would you oh <laughs> yes. would you oh that really makes me feel so special i'll add a little little bit in there about that yeah a little little signature <laughs> wall of fame. yeah fantastic Thank you so much. I'll see you guys later. I will be back here looking forward to the tamales and the general um, sour chicken. We will be, we'll be here waiting. Great. Goodbye. Toodles. <laughs> Toodles. And scene. <laughs> Fun. Love the dish. <laughs> the dish name. <laughs> Yay. We did it. Cool. Oh, um, where's my thing? All right. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you, Neftali, for coming today. Um, and we like to give you a little space to plug any shows that you have coming Ooh. up. So if you can put that in. Sure. Um, let's see. Show, 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 shows. Um, <laughs> there's Generation Out Next every Tuesday at I.O. at 10. There's uh, Trigger Happy, 8 o'clock at The Annoyance. And uh, I am just doing soul stuff all the time. So, yeah. You have a website? I do. Yeah. Randomobscura.com. It's don't judge my design ability. That's just like I just needed somewhere to go put my shows. It's public facing. So I don't got to be Facebook friends with everybody. <laughs> Not that everybody isn't wonderful, but. I think it's a cool website. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. There. It's very simple. I just keep my show dates up there and I, you know, just try and keep it up to date. So, yeah, there'll always be. There's, yeah, I think I'm, I have a lot of stuff I'll be doing during the summer. Um, keep an eye out. Uh, Family Robot will have a sketch review this summer. And I might have uh, a solo show or a mini solo show at some time. Ooh. Yeah. So, Great. yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. You. Thank you for having me. This has been a Neighbory Inc. podcast. Go to neighboryinc.com for more details. Follow Riff Raff Revolution on social media at r underscore r underscore revolution because they couldn't get a more convenient handle. This episode was edited by Jacob Duffy Hallweib and Dominic Kwanza. This episode was produced by Perry Hunt and Laura Leland. Tune in next week for an interview with Mark James Heath. Bye! Bye! Where is the general sow's chicken? Some assholes live more in certain places, but there's still assholes everywhere.